Well, music beautifully played has that capacity to bring joy to our souls. So thank you. Um, would you pray with me before we, we begin our time in the Word? Oh Lord, we ask that you open our ears so that we may hear your voice. And we ask that you open our minds so that we may receive your wisdom from your holy word. Open our spirits that we would experience your leading and guidance. And open our hearts so that we may receive your love and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. It's winter. It's cold. Winter has come and it's dark. You know, the season of Advent arrives every year as we go into the darker and darker days of winter, or the shorter days. The light is low. The annual cycle of cold and dark affects everything. It affects our activities and our energy and our emotions. The midwinter blues are a well-known phenomenon for, uh, for us in our day. and Some mixture of seasonal depression and loneliness and longing and holiday stress often takes its toll on us. But the seasonal effect really only magnifies the deeper underlying discontent that characterizes so much of human life. For most of us, these moments of joy and gratitude punctuate long stretches of low-level discouragement and frustration with the brokenness of the world. You know, we feel that way because there is something wrong with the world. We know something's wrong, or at least not quite right. Deep in your soul... You all know that you were made to enjoy something deeply satisfying, more deeply satisfying relationships with God, and more deeply satisfying relationships with people. And you were made for more deeply satisfying, purposeful work in God's kingdom. That's what God said we were made for at the very beginning in Genesis 1. Of course, then came the sin and brokenness that corrupts both us and the world. It disrupts and distorts God's goodness. Uh, not, not God's goodness, but the creational goodness that God made at the beginning. And thus, we daily face injustices, ranging from minor disappointments about things not working to deep relational heartache, to the horrors of war and violence and abuse. All of creation has been subjected to frustration, according to the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8. Things are not the way they should be. And I know enough about the people in this room to know that you too suffer from disappointment in life. From both physical trials and from emotional pain. From some things gone mildly wrong to others horribly bad. Sometimes from your own misdeeds 
and sometimes from the malice and failures of others. And some of that disappointment gets turned toward God. Today's text from Luke chapter 1 centers on a man and his wife who were familiar with disappointment. I'm going to read a few passages that come before our main passage to set the stage. Luke chapter 1 verse 5 reads, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abiah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous, but barren. Psalm 127 says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. And they had certainly prayed for children. But at their age, they had long ago given up hope of ever having an heir. And their particular darkness included other things, like the hardships of the Roman occupation and the long silence of God. There had arisen no prophet in Israel for over 400 years. Had God forgotten his people? And had he forgotten Zechariah and Elizabeth? Yet their disappointment with life was also mixed with faith. The Bible says they observed all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. We might say they were doing their best. They were trusting, waiting, obeying, expecting God to eventually provide some sort of relief for his people, even if they were to remain empty. And then when Zechariah was serving in the temple, an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah and changed everything for him. Luke 1.12 says, When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you were to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And then, of course, some months later, a baby was born to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we heard that story in our scripture reading today. And when Zechariah's tongue was finally freed, he prophesied and proclaimed the words of the song we call the Benedictus, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us 
in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abram, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because the tender mercy of our God, because of the tender mercy of our God, which by the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. You see, God visited Zechariah, and he also visited Elizabeth. In fact, that's how the song begins, with praise to God who has visited his people and redeemed them. In the Greek, in verse 68, the word is episkeptomai, episkeptomai. It's visited in a lot of other translations. Ours says, come. The Lord has come and redeemed his people. But this traditional and literal translation is to look upon someone with benevolence, with care. When Jesus raised the widow's son in Luke chapter 7, the people were filled with awe and they exclaimed, a great prophet has appeared among us. God has visited his people. Same word. So when God visits his people, he's working out his love for his people. Zechariah's whole song of praise revolves around God's work to save or redeem his people. It breaks naturally into two parts. There's praise for God's faithfulness in verses 68 to 75, and a prophecy about John and the coming Messiah in the last part, verses 76 to 79. And I'm going to make one summary point about each of those two sections, and then add one more point of application at the end. So as we look at these words today, let's look really into the heart of what Zechariah saw and felt and thought as he responded to God's goodness in this song. And let's look at what we can learn from that. It's a good time to have your Bibles open to this passage at the end of Luke chapter 1. In the first section, we're reminded of the long history of God's faithfulness to his people and his promises. The very center of this poem is a declaration in verses 72 through 75 that God's current visitation, his current work in human history, stems from his covenant promise made to Abraham 1,500 years prior, in ages past. Specifically, the oath he swore to rescue his people from the hand of their enemies, that they might serve him in holiness and righteousness all the days of their life. 
Now, in Zechariah's context, recalling that purpose would also have recalled the words of the Lord through Moses in Exodus 7. Let my people go that they may worship me. And so would talk in verse 68 of redeeming his people, bring to mind the work of God to redeem Israel from slavery in Egypt. Four weeks ago, Sarah preached on Exodus 15. She presented God as the champion of Israel in Moses' song, who with unfailing love leads the people he redeemed. So Zechariah goes on to use the phrase, raising up a horn of salvation in the house of David. And that refers to the strength and power of the king. And calls up the covenant with David in 2 Samuel 7 about which Joel preached two weeks ago. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, and I will establish his kingdom. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever, God promised. Other texts that refer to the Davidic kingdom covenant, like Psalm 132, would have come to mind for a faithful Jew of the day. I will make a horn grow for David and set up a lamp for my anointed one. And then Zechariah completes his recollection of God's covenant faithfulness by mentioning what God has said through his holy prophets of long ago. So in these few verses, we have a tour of God's covenant promises. His covenant with Abraham his deliverance through Moses and the Exodus narrative, his promises to and his royal covenant with David, and the messianic promises that come through the holy, promise, or the holy prophets. And so what are we to make of that? How do we respond to that? I think the message is remember. Remember that God is always faithful to his covenant promises, even when it seems like he's silent for a long time or that he's forgotten his people. Remember the works God has done in and for his people. Remember the mercy he showed to our forefathers, those who have gone before us in the faith. He made these promises to make and sustain a community whose life is centered around the worship of God. And even when it looks dark, the loving mercy of God and his faithfulness to his covenant promises will never fail. You may not see the relief you particularly desire, but God will sustain you, and he will carry forward his promise to remake the world. So remember God's faithfulness to his covenant promises. The second section, beginning in verse 76, turns to prophecy. First about Zechariah's son, John, and then quickly to the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. He practically quotes Isaiah 40, verse 3, when he says, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. And John's purpose, usually characterized as calling Israel to repentance, is somewhat surprisingly portrayed here as 
giving knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. Now, clearly, repentance and forgiveness are linked, and both point people toward reconciliation with God, but it seems Zechariah, here by the Holy Spirit, has the messianic purpose clearly in his view. And then, of course, everything hinges on the one to whom he gives these titles, the Most High and the Lord, who rises as the sun from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and the shadow of death. He's describing the Messiah with these titles. And why does the Messiah arise as the sun in the heavens? Well, to, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And what motivation, what power lies behind this? It's the tender mercy of our God. The tender mercy of our God. Wow. Remember the words of the angel in verse 14? He will be a joy and a delight to you, the angel promised Zechariah. And many will rejoice because of his birth. Surely that came true for Zechariah. But how much more does that good news about the Messiah give us all cause to rejoice? To rejoice in the mercy and the love of God. Zechariah's joyful testimony leads us to a response also, I think, of worship, of awe, and of wonder. That's what happened to the people who heard his testimony. This is by far the clearest prophetic revelation of the purpose and work of the long-awaited anointed one, the Christ. And Zechariah rejoices at the birth of his son in the light of this beautiful vision of the coming of the Messiah. He counts himself among those living in darkness, among those living in the shadow of death to whom light has now come. So people of God, we too are invited to worship and rejoice that by the tender mercy of God, no matter how dark the night, the rising sun has come. The dawn of God's end time salvation gives us hope for the future. These two sections of Zechariah's song call for remembering that God keeps his covenant promises and rejoicing that God's mercy is come in the, in the coming of Jesus the Christ. And we, of course, have the benefit of seeing the full stretch of Jesus' life and work and death and resurrection, which makes perfectly clear the victory of God over darkness and death. Zechariah in his song used the past tense because he saw that too by the power of the Holy Spirit. He knew that the work was completed as soon as it was begun. God's promises would carry through to completion. I think there's one more application we can draw from this text. It's what I, what I hear when I see Zechariah's prophecy about John. I think we're called to embrace the call of God to serve others as Zechariah gave that charge to John. 
Certainly the commission to John was unique to his time and place. But the commission given to us as followers of Jesus is remarkably similar. Look at John's prophetic calling. First, go before the Lord to prepare a way for him. Can you see what that might look like for you? Is there a way that you go before the Lord in your family, among your neighbors, in your workplace, in your relationships? Can you prepare a way for the Lord in your relationships? I think so. Second, John was to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. What more needs to be said? That is the great commission. Jesus gave us that commission to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That commission is for us too. And John... His, uh, his commission was to be expressed within this knowledge of the tender mercy of our God in which the light of the Messiah, Jesus, would shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, that our feet might be guided to the path of peace. Is there any more beautiful calling that we would shine the light of the Messiah Jesus on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. Who of us is not called to do this in some way? So embrace this calling. If you have been called by God, if you have been visited by God, this is your calling. Embrace it. Zechariah was visited in a very certain and special manner by the angel of the Lord, but salvation comes to no one without the visitation of God. Visitation is the beginning of God's work in our life. It's where his story intersects with our story. And when he visits us, everything changes, often in unexpected ways. So remember God's covenant promises. Rejoice in God's mercy in Jesus and embrace your calling to serve. Even in the darkness of winter, despite the corruption of the world and the frustrations of human life, we can and we must turn again and again to the true good news. Light has come. The dawn of salvation in Christ will guide our feet into the path of peace. Will you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we bow before you in reverent worship. Your promises are sure and your mercy overflows. Grant that we may live in the power and confidence of your new life in us for your glory and for our good. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.